smoking is bad and it kills people. We all know that. But things get a little hazier when it comes to the popular new smoking substitute, vaping. It's against the law in Australia to buy or sell the liquid nicotine that's used for vaping, but it's perfectly legal for adults to buy vaping implements. And that's just the beginning of how complex this issue is. Maybe it's time we got more informed. This is Signs of the Times Radio with Kent Kingston. Hey, it's fantastic to have you with us for another week of Signs of the Times Radio. I'm on the phone with Maurice Swanson. He's the CEO of the Australian Council of Smoking and Health, based in WA. How are you, Maurice? I'm very well, thanks. Excellent. Hey, yeah, thanks so much for being part of the program today. Re- really, really appreciate it. My pleasure. So, uh, Maurice, the, the topic that we really want to focus on today is, is the issue of vaping, or I guess you know, some people call them you know, e-cigarettes. But before we go there, I, I guess it's important just to kind of back up a, a little bit and get, get a bit of a feel for the background of what your organisation has been doing, because you, you're an independent organisation, a non-government organisation. You've been active for quite a while. And of course, the issue for decades and decades and decades has been smoking. So give us a little bit of background there. Like, What has the, the battle against big tobacco looked like over the last few decades? And, and would you say that that battle has been won or, or close to won? Well, it certainly hasn't been won because we've still got around one in 10 adults in Australia as regular smokers. Mm-hmm. But if we go back to the time that the Australian Council on Smoking and Health was established, and that's 1971, it was more like 35% of adult smoking. So 35%, just over one in three as regular smokers, coming down to one in 10 or 10% is, in public health terms, a huge success. Mm. And Australia, in many ways, is the envy of many other countries. And that result is because Australia has taken a comprehensive approach to reducing smoking. And by that, I mean this country of ours has not relied on a single strategy. Hmm. And your listeners will be very aware of some of the strategies that have been most effective. So if we go from the top of the pops, that's increasing the price of tobacco, followed by TV-led mass media campaigns that have graphically portrayed the health consequences of of smoking. Mm, And and, and converse to that, I I guess, Maurice, is the the banning of tobacco advertising. That was a big thing, particularly um, in sport. That was huge. So Australia has led the world on banning the advertising and promotion of tobacco products in, in many ways. We haven't completely eliminated it because... The tobacco industry is relentless and they're fighting back through using the internet to advertise and promote smoking. So, for example, they pay influencers to take photographs of themselves smoking and that's a blatant attempt to glamorise smoking. But we've shut their advertising and promotion down very much, but not, not completely. We've also expanded 
smoke-free areas in many workplaces and in public places where large numbers of people gather. So, for example, in most cities in Australia, you can go out to a restaurant and not be assaulted by the table next door smoking. Well, the table's not smoking, but the people at the table in years gone by used to smoke and and ruin the amenity for those that were sitting close by. So expansion of those smoke-free areas has been has been very important. So they're they're the main strategies, and of course, plain packaging was the most recent strategy implemented by Australia, which is being absolutely copied around the world because there's strong evidence that particularly for young people, plain packaging denormalizes smoking, deglamorizes smoking, and also importantly, plain packaging increases the effectiveness of the health warnings that are graphically portrayed on the pack. So all of these measures have worked now in concert to significantly reduce the prevalence of smoking from those figures that I mentioned earlier. Just over one in three in the late 70s, early 80s, down to around one in 10 in 2020. However, what they're up to now is equally as relentless, equally as misleading and deceptive Mm. in that they're now trying to market both here and in many countries around the world what we call new or novel nicotine delivery devices. So that broad term covers devices such as e-cigarettes, in their various types, Mm. and also they're trying to get access to Australia to market heat-not-burn products, Mm. which are a little bit different from e-cigarettes in that the the device heats a plug of tobacco to produce an aerosol that contains both nicotine and a vast array of contaminants. But this is simply a product diversification strategy by the tobacco industry So when you look at their global strategy, it's to maintain the marketing and availability of combustible tobacco products. We commonly refer to those as cigarettes. And in those countries that have got very few restrictions, because unfortunately their public health laws and policies have not been implemented in the same way that they have in Australia, they've got their foot flat to the accelerator, flat to the floor, where they trying to sell as many of those toxic products as they can. And in those Western democracies where there's more sophisticated public health laws and more reliance on health and medical evidence, they are trying to introduce these new novel nicotine delivery devices, such as e-cigarettes. We, we, we actually have, Maurice, in this month's edition of Science of the Times magazine, an article that really focuses on, on that issue called, you know, vaping, new war, same enemy, how the tobacco, how the tobacco industry is making a, a comeback. And th- this does, um, you know, very much focus on, on, the, on this type of thing. 
so Maurice, I guess this brings us to vaping, doesn't it? Because there are, what, 200,000, maybe up to 300,000 vapors in Australia. And many of those, I imagine, decided to take up the habit because they were, you know, tobacco smokers before that. They switched to vaping in the belief that mm-hmm. this was a healthier way to, to go about getting their nicotine fix and that possibly mm. using vaping, it might be easier than tobacco smoking to sort of gradually dial down the amount of nicotine they'd been taking in order to completely wean themselves off, mm-hmm. off nicotine. Is that a step in the right direction? Is, is this a, a good sort of harm minimization step, would you say, or, or not? Well, let's just go back a few steps and summarise where the Australian Council on Smoking and Health believes the evidence is. And mm. First of all, there's now growing evidence that's published in medical and research journals every month that inhaling e-cigarette aerosol, because it's not actually vape, mm-hmm. strictly speaking, it's an aerosol which contains many toxic components such as propylene glycol, glycerin, mm. heavy metals that uh, flake off from the coil of the, of the machine, and a myriad of, uh, of flavorings, some of which have been approved for ingestion, but certainly not for inhaling into your lungs, mm. because after all, lungs are designed to soak up air and nothing else. Mm. A combination of those toxic components is indeed toxic to the lungs, to your heart, and to your arteries. And we just don't have enough evidence yet to say that these products are harmless. In fact, the, all of the accumulating evidence points to the fact that they are harmful. Mm. Second, we need to remember that it took decades of research to confirm that smoking traditional cigarettes causes 16 different cancers, diseases of the heart and blood vessels, and chronic lung disease like emphysema. E-cigarettes have only been around for about 15 to 20 years. And you mentioned that figure of up to 300,000. Well, we're not certain that that's anywhere near a correct figure for Australia. The last survey Mm. was done in 2016. And from that survey, we believe around 200,000 or just under 200,000 had tried cigarettes. So it might not be as high as 300,000. Okay, all right. And Thirdly, uh, but, but I, I do understand, Maurice, that it is young people in particular who are being attracted to to the vaping phenomenon. There's all sorts of sort of trick videos, you know, on, online and this sort of thing. It seems to be attracting a younger demographic. Is is that correct? That That's true. But the figures for younger people is still um, very low. It wouldn't be anywhere near the figures that we were talking about before. It's okay. somewhere between 2 and 5% have ever tried an e-cigarette. Okay. But coming back to the important point of evidence, there's very little evidence that, that, that e-cigarettes are an effective way to quit. Very little evidence. However, you can't say that certain individuals haven't been able to use e-cigarettes to quit. In fact, some have been successful, but very small numbers in giving up using e-cigarettes. When you look at cohort studies where you enroll large numbers of people and you follow them over two to three years or longer, what you find is that the vast majority of people 
who use e-cigarettes to quit smoking end up at the end of the study still smoking and using e-cigarettes. Those that have been able to quit and they're in small numbers are still continuing to vape. So they're still maintaining their nicotine addiction. But the vast majority are both smoking and using e-cigarettes. And if they're continuing to do that, they are not, and I need to really stress this, not significantly reducing their health risk from smoking and using e-cigarettes. Now, you mentioned concern about kids taking it up, Mm. and I replied that there aren't the numbers here in Australia that that are doing that. That's not saying that it's not a matter of concern. In fact, there was an article in the Fairfax Press last weekend that showed quite a few high school principals in New South Wales being very concerned about kids bringing vaping devices to school and selling those vaping devices to other students. And what that means to us in the health field is that we need to be concerned about the ease with which young kids are being able to get these products. They're either buying them illegally from vape shops, in this case in New South Wales, or they're importing them with nicotine as a a component illegally from either China, the US, perhaps New Zealand. In those countries where there's been a more liberal approach to the availability of e-cigarettes, and I'm thinking here the US, Canada, but showing up elsewhere, there's been an epidemic of use by young people of e-cigarettes, epidemic use. So the pattern in the US and Canada is very alarming and that's because they were available in many retail outlets and you mentioned the internet and people uh, posting pictures of them vaping and using vaping tricks to create these aerosol clouds. It's very difficult to control the internet and what images put people put on them mm. and I mentioned earlier the contracting of influences by the tobacco industry. All of those things have resulted in very large numbers of young people in Canada and the US using these products. And that's a great concern to health officials in Australia because we don't want that to happen here. When you look at what's happened in those other countries, you're also concerned about people, young people, who have an early use of e-cigarettes then going on to traditional cigarettes as a gateway effect. Mm. Exactly. And there's now good evidence that the earlier you use e-cigarettes, the more likely you are to use traditional combustible cigarettes and other drugs. So in the US, for example, the most popular e-cigarette was produced by a company called Juul, which mm-hmm. is spelled J-U-U-L. Yeah. And theirs is a very sophisticated advice. It would resemble for many people the Apple products in its sophistication and glamour. Mm-hmm. And the nicotine is delivered through the heating of the contents of a pod that you connect to the device. And those pod-type devices, in, case of, in the case of Juul, present the nicotine as a salt. 
So chemically, it's nicotine salts. Oh, right. And when you heat it to produce a vapour, the concentration of nicotine from the dual e-cigarette is much higher than other devices. So one pod is the equivalent of one packet, say 20 to 25 cigarettes, in its nicotine delivery mm. capacity. Yeah, yeah. And it's nothing for young people in the US who are hooked on on nicotine from these dual e-cigarettes e to be consuming the equivalent of two to three packets of nicotine per day. Wow. So there are now programs in the US where doctors are trying to assist young people to deal with their with their nicotine addiction. So all of that has made us very conscious of the need not to follow what's happened in the US mm -hmm. or in Canada. And that's why the vast majority of health organisations in Australia are supporting what we call the precautionary approach, which is to restrict their availability in marketing. And this is the approach that's being taken by the Federal Health Minister, Greg Hunt, mm -hmm. and it's supported strongly by all of Australia's state and territory health ministers. And what Greg Hunt's doing there is he's following the advice of our independent health organisations such as the National Health and Medical Research Council, the Therapeutic Goods Administration, mm -hmm. I mentioned them earlier, and Australia's chief health officers. They've all endorsed the federal government and Greg Hunt's current precautionary approach to these devices. Mm. And the latest coverage in the last week or so has been about Greg Hunt's intention to endorse the Therapeutic Goods Administration's role ensuring that nicotine is only available with a doctor's prescription. Right, right. And the other component to that is getting the Border Force staff to more strictly be searching for the illegal importation of nicotine from countries like New Zealand, the US and China. Mm -hmm. And when you take those two things together, that would effectively limit what has been going on for several years now, which is the illegal importation of nicotine. So right across Australia, vaping shops do not, if they are acting legally according mm. to the current law, sell vaping fluid that contains nicotine. Yeah. In states like Victoria and New South Wales, you can buy non-nicotine vaping fluid and e-cigarette devices. But what's been happening is that the vaping shop proprietors then encourage the purchaser of these devices to illegally import their nicotine mm -hmm. and, and, and add and, it to the vaping fluid that they've just sold them. And, and apparently uh, that, that's Western how the majority Australia, of vapors in Australia get hold of that liquid or, or that liquid nicotine. It's through illegal online shopping, basically, in illegal importation. Precisely. It's illegal importation. So what Greg Hunt was proposing 
with the TGA is to clamp that down by requiring people wanting to obtain their nicotine to do it through a doctor's prescription. Right, right. And, and the reason that he was taking that approach is that very early on, the proponents of vaping, and there are a minority of organizations, there's only less than a handful that support vaping as a method of giving up smoking, an efficient and safe method of giving up smoking, smoking yeah, which yeah. is not on both, both of those counts. But those small number of organizations and individuals that promote that position in their first efforts to encourage vaping said that vaping and the use of e-cigarettes was an effective way to give up smoking. But as the evidence has emerged and more studies have been done, as I mentioned earlier, it is not an effective and safe way to give up smoking when you look at it from a population health point of view. Yeah. And they continue to promote that as their position until they realise that both the federal health minister, all of the state and territory health ministers just didn't buy that as a proposition because <laughs> there's no evidence for it. Yeah. So they changed their tune to promote these devices and the use of nicotine in this way as an ordinary consumer product. Right, right. Now, given what mm. I've just told you about the US and Canada, that would be a disastrous outcome for for Australia. Well, it gets mm. worse, I understand, Maurice, when, when you're looking at the US. I mean, 2019, they had, what, nearly approaching 300,000 people in hospital with, like, vaping-related lung illnesses. Six, 60, six, zero people actually died in connection with this. I mean, what, what is going on there? I mean, this, this is not like, you know, 30 years of smoking and then you get cancer. This is something much more acute and much more severe. Yeah. So some of those deaths, it is thought can be attributed to the contamination of, of ke chemicals that they're vaping. It's very easy to use those pod devices to inhale cannabis. Yeah, yeah. I understand a lot of and, them were actually cannabis-related. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's right. So, so when they've investigated the, the deaths that they attribute to vaping, which in, in the cases of the deaths resulted in very serious lung disease from which they did not recover, unfortunately. Some of those they've attributed to contaminants such as cannabis, but not all of them. So our takeout from that is that there's more to this story than just claiming that the pods were contaminated with cannabis. Mm -hmm. So what proportion can be attributed to cannabis contamination and what proportion is a result of vaping is still an issue that's being worked through by the FDA in the US. But mm. coming back to just some basic principles, your lungs are designed to soak up air, not contaminated aerosols yeah. or, or tobacco smoke. So mm -hmm. anything you put into your lungs, which is not fresh air. Mm. Or a vapor of like liquid in tiny droplets. It's Yeah, your lungs aren't designed for any of that. No. And so I think most people will accept that that's not going to enhance their general health or their lung, their lung health. And secondly, 
why would you be wanting to campaign for the introduction of yet another addictive product yeah. in this country? It's just bizarre. So it, it, uh, it's just extraordinary to me and to the Australian Council on Smoking and Health that there are a very, very small number of health professionals that are going out of their way to promote vaping as a behaviour that, that has a, a health benefit mm, mm. for smokers when the evidence is so weak that they're an effective and safe way of giving up smoking and not to mention the population harm that could be caused as it has been in the US and Canada to young people who are non-smokers who get hooked on vaping. Yeah, yeah. In large numbers. Wow. Well, look, I, I was going to ask you, you know, what's the best way forward for government policy? But I think I'm, I'm getting the message loud and clear from you that the, the evidence, such as it is so far, is that that would be a very unwise direction to go, even as more, you know, studies continue to, to be done. And I guess for individuals, you know, if you are a smoker and you're looking to quit, vaping is possibly the the worst of the options that are available out there to, to help you quit. It's um, something that, you know, very much a, a buyer beware sort of situation, isn't it? Absolutely. And what you've also got to be aware of is that the tobacco industry is in a revival phase at the moment and they are lobbying relentlessly our politicians to make these sorts of novel, new, addictive products available. And they're driven by really one motivation, and that is to maintain their company's profitability. Yeah, yeah. So I mentioned the dual e-cigarette, which is the most popular e-cigarette device in the US. Yeah. Philip Morris purchased a $12.5 billion piece of the action in, in that company, which was based in, in California. Why right. would they do that? Yeah. It's a calculated business decision to reduce their risk in the sense that many Western countries with more sophisticated public health systems and policies, people are giving up smoking. We mentioned about 35% down to 10% since the late 70s, early 80s. That's happening in quite a few countries, but corporations are designed to maximize their profit. That's their duty to their shareholders. And so the people that run these companies are looking for strategies to maintain the massive profits that tobacco has been able to generate since the invention of James Bonsack's cigarette mo rolling machine, because yeah. prior to 1880, it was a very labour-intensive method mm. of individuals in, in pretty dirty factories hand-rolling cigarettes. When he invented that machine and sold it to the tobacco companies in the US, it was able to produce 100,000 cigarettes in a 12-hour period. And that, together with the marketing, mm. enabled the tobacco industry to become one of the most profitable industries in the world and unfortunately one of the most lethal. Mm -hmm. Yeah, millions of lives later, yeah, the, the rest is history. 
Look, that's really um, sobering stuff, Maurice, that you've you've presented to us today. Thank you so much uh, for your time and, and for your expertise. And uh, I know that uh, our listeners will certainly, you know, be be thinking twice uh, when it comes to vaping to, you know, not see it as a, a harmless substitute, but to uh, perhaps be a, a little bit more informed about what's going on there. Thanks for, uh, for doing that informing for us this week. It, it's my pleasure and, and keep up the good work. Today's episode was based on an article appearing in this month's Science of the Times magazine. A subscription is just $26 for 11 issues a year. To find out more, visit scienceofthetimes.org.au. Signs of the Times has been published in Australia since 1886 and is proudly produced by Adventist Media. This is an Adventist Media podcast. 